Welcome, everyone. Just like our podcast before, I wanted to create another podcast for Star Wars, uh, which is definitely a big game on my channel. So, Fathers of Tabletop is proud to bring you our series, Song of the Holocron. Joining me today is Archie Parks from the channel Archie Duelist. How's it going, Archie? Rocking it, man. So excited to talk Star Wars. Awesome. Well, okay, so first off, you started off as a player in the Star Wars game. Um, did you find it very approachable when you first started? You're talking about the Fantasy Flight system? Yep. Or just Star Wars role-playing in general? Well, the Fantasy Flight system, I loved it. Um, I wouldn't exactly describe it as approachable, but the thing that makes it super approachable is Star Wars. Because you know... Everybody knows at least something about Star Wars. Right. Like if nothing else, you know, you know, oh my gosh, Darth Vader is Luke's daddy or something. You've heard, you've heard something, right? About it. Now let's let's also shade light on the fact that you have been recently GMing. Like you haven't been a GM for very long. How's that going for you? I'm overly critical on myself, so it's hard for me to say objectively. I feel like I'm not doing very well, but I judge myself to a very high standard because I play with really quality game masters uh, and I try to hold myself to their standard, which is probably not correct. You should really only judge yourself based on yourself, you know, but I'm trying, man. I'm going to keep putting in the work, keep trying to excel and get better. Did you Make find great a, games for people to enjoy. Did you find the same thing that drew you as a player to Fantasy Flight Games is the same thing that drew you there as a GM? Like the fact that it was Star Wars, did it just feel like that made it easier to grasp? No, actually, it's weird that you that you uh, you you asked the question in that way because it wasn't that it was the exact opposite. It was the the no answer to the previous question. It was the system that makes me keep coming back to FFG Star Wars, man. Um, the narrative dice, the way that sort of anything can happen. Um, that's what drew me to tabletop in the first place. I played video games as a kid, and you know I loved them. I still love video games. I play them all the time, but. The fact that you can only do what somebody programmed for you to do in a video game, in my mind, is the best thing and the worst thing about video games. And that highlights so strongly what is the best thing about tabletop role-playing. Whatever your imagination can come up with, basically, you can you can do that. You know, As long as it is cool with the GM and the table, you, <laughs> your imagination can come to life. And the FFG, the dice system that they use facilitates that in a way that i feel like is really magical i absolutely so. agree for me what drew me to star wars as, as a kid i played the west end games one my dad introduced me to it it was that he wanted to get me introduced into role playing and we played games like hero quests and stuff but i wasn't quite at the interest of lord of the rings and dungeons and dragons that he would have hoped i was more into star wars from a very young age so he dusted off his uh, books that he had for three years and decided to run a game through me. And I think it was Star Wars that drew me to it. It wasn't just the fact of role-playing a game. It was the fact that I could be one of those characters. As a GM, it's not the same thing that pulls me to it. Star Wars, for me, I find restricting in a way, but also intimidating. Because there is a set canon, there is a set lore, and if you don't know enough, you feel like you're going to be letting people down as a GM. Hang on, one of the cats is scratching on the door. So, you know, you could feel kind of intimidated by the setting of Star Wars, even though there's lots of pulp for you to pull from. I feel that with Dungeons & Dragons, you could pretty much get any, rid of 
pretty much take the plot anywhere you want to go and the players are on board. But with Star Wars, once the plot gets really weird, I think you have okay. a you you have a you have a really valid point there. I mean, you can take dun generic fantasy and do whatever you want with it within generic fantasy. There's certain things you have to have in Star Wars to make it Star Wars. And people can feel that that is a little bit of a barrier to entry or restrictive in certain ways, but uh, if you try to look at it in a little bit more positive light, that just does your work for you. That just gives you flavor nuggets and things that you can use as a launching off point to find the things that you and your players enjoy most that you can bring into the game. And the things that you can put over as a game master that and really sell to your players that they'll buy into. Like, yeah, that was awesome. I, I agree 100%. Um, now, the narrative system of Edge of the Empire is definitely what makes it unique compared to West End Games, the, the D6 system. Um, All systems, really. Right, actually, honestly, yeah. Uh, it, it gives a different ability to the game, and that's the narrative dice and, and their function, and how even if you don't succeed or fail, something can still happen in your benefit or to your despair. And I think <sighs> that's what we should do for our segment, War Room. Let I the think battle begin. Let the battle begin. I think we should talk about narrative dice. Now, narrative dice is one of those hot topics in role-playing groups. No matter where you go, everybody's got different opinions on how they work. Everybody's got different strategies on implementing. It's kind of like inspiration with 5th edition. Some DMs that you watch are on the ball with rewarding and spending inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. And then some GMs don't have it at all, or some GMs just don't reward it when they should. They struggle with when to apply it. Right. GMs have a lot on their plate. It's hard to follow. Exactly. Them. What I love about the narrative system is you get that inspiration or that that advantage where you can control the narrative a little bit or, or get a you know an advantage over the enemy, hence the term advantage. But the system is entirely handled by mechanics and not really up to the GM at all. He doesn't have to maintain it. And that, that's yeah, I what think, I really like about it. I think that's a really good point, man. It puts a lot of the agency in the player's hands. So... Um, that can be daunting for a GM who's used to a lot of control and where he takes his story and where he's running his adventures. But it also, if you try to look at it in a more positive light, takes work off your shoulders, man. It, it lets you come together with the players to mold something that everybody has ownership of. Exactly. Now let's talk uh, the mechanics of advantage and disadvantage and why some people have such a hard time wrapping their head around the concept. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is... Now, mechanically, right, according to the game, and I've seen a lot of GMs, you know, role play this out differently. But according to the game, one advantage allows you to notice a single important thing in an ongoing conflict, such as the location of blast doors, control panel, or a weak point on an attack speeder, right? That That's kind of the narrative advantage that they have. But mechanically, two advantage, three advantage, four advantage, so on... They do not have any change in narrative. If you want to change one tiny little thing about the narrative, you spin an advantage. If you want to do change something huge, you get a triumph. Or you can change yeah, something vital, here, yeah. such as shooting the controls of the nearby blast doors to shut them. That's the mechanical sense. So the, the mechanical sense dictates that one advantage allows you to notice the control panel that controls the doors, but you still have to aim and shoot at it. Whereas a Triumph, you can notice it and shoot it. But what I've noticed about 
theater, the mind games especially, is that people think triumphs should mean more. They should have more of a, a plot-changing effect or more of a scene-changing effect. Some of the triumphs I've seen, things that people come up with is crazy. And there also <laughs> seems to be a desire for a way to kind of like, what would you like to do with the tree advantage? Well, can I say a really awesome thing happens to us? Not on a triumphant level, but something better than just a normal advantage would. And some GMs do that. You know, uh, I'll... I'll even do that. If somebody asks me, hey, could I do this with my advantage? Could I just say this happens? I'll say, you know what? No, normally I'm pretty big on that. I'll work with you. Yeah, normally that's a little too big for an advantage, but you did roll six advantage. So if you're willing to give me all six of those advantage, I'll let that happen. But I'll never let something triumph level. So that's kind of what I want to talk about today. That's true. What's the scale, right? So let's go through advantages first. Oh. In your mind, when you play, what does one advantage give me give me an example of what one advantage would do for you in one of your games if you could come up with a scenario to be honest one advantage you're always going to see a strain or a boost you're just going to pass it pass a boost to a next person that's going to be the most uh most common use um and you can't really go wrong with it um and the thing is it'll it'll keep the game moving you just go with that now um if you have a, a scene that's set up well or a scene that's lacking a good setup, hey, take advantage. D you know, do the console thing. Uh, oh, you notice uh, the guy's weapon rebel, uh, you know, his shoes untied. Yeah, yeah, In Anything, yeah. you know. There, there's, there's, a, there's a plethora of things. And the, the, the main point uh, when, when you're trying to inject a narrative story point is don't feel – that once you speak these words, they have become canonized. You need to recognize that you're going to work with your GM to figure out what is appropriate. Like you said, you got to scale the 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 effect appropriately to what you rolled. Well, you know, not only one, that, one advantage isn't going to get you very much, right? But talk it over you with can your turn, Like you said, you can turn something small into something big. Like you say, right. you noticed the where the where the controls were. That can be made something big later. It's something small now. Now, uh, let's talk about that, too. You said talk it over to GM. I think also people should talk their advantages over with the party. Like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you guys think? Definitely bring them into it, because then you'll get players who are like, yeah, you got an advantage. Uh, okay, what can we do? For and all of a sudden, everybody's collectively becoming on the same page. When I allow my players, even in the recorded games that you guys have seen in my campaigns, when I allow them talk about what they're doing, all I keep in mind is that I will remind them, okay, well, you got to go because, you know, this is only a moment of time. Yeah. But yeah. as for, you know, them just wanting to talk over strategies or what should I use this on? I absolutely don't mind. Yeah. I've had people in my games go, guys, I'm stumped. I don't know Triumph. And if nobody in the group can come with the Triumph, I'll step in and I'll say, well, I have an idea. If you guys don't want to do anything of yours... Throw it to me, and I'll I'll give you a triumph that's worth a triumph, and mm -hmm. it makes the game a lot easier. Uh, I'll even have players who are relatively new to the game say, "James, what does one tri advantage give me if I want to use it to change a plot?" And one well, yeah, thing let, that I've done let's is pose the question to you, man. Uh, what do, what do you use one advantage for? Perfect. Um, noticing that a trooper has activated a shield around himself, seeing the flicker of the shield, because that could change. Well, what yeah, do I do? Yeah, where you maybe you're not talking them or not, man. In a negotiations system, like one time we had a part, I think it was your crew, uh, bargaining for buying a ship, right? 
And when you made one advantage and, and you kind of asked me, well, what can that get me? I'll be like, you know, you notice that this guy's dressed like he's trying to look rich, but he's actually kind of poor. Or you notice this guy has lipstick around his collar, so maybe a female party member will have more sway with him. Or you smell alcohol on his breath. Yeah, that's a great tip. So, uh, a little story know, nugget me, that gives a clue to uh, how right. to proceed with this individual. Story yeah. building and character building built into your role. Exactly. Pro tip. Now, let's move on to... Uh, you can also use the advantage to heal a strain, which is important. You can use one advantage to pass on a boost to the very next ally. And you can also use the uh, advantages to activate a weapon quality or the crit rating on a weapon. So there's lots of ways to use it. If your weapon has a crit of three and you roll five advantage, mix and match. Crit your weapon, pass the advantage on to the next guy, and then use your advantage to notice something insignificant but good. Mm -hmm. um, do all three. I don't care. That That's why it's there. Because then if you miss, if you got no successes and no threats, but you've got five advantage to work with and you want to break it up, break it up, man. Let's make your turn mean something. That really make, brings to mind the true chaos of a battlefield. You know, a lot of things can happen in, in a quick span of time and that really illustrates it. That's one thing I love about it is how you can succeed and something good can happen or you can, you know, not succeed. You know, and it, it's breaked up. There's this duality of, of what occurs for every role. It's very interesting. Um, so let's move on to two advantage. Now, two advantage allows you to um, use an immediate maneuver that will not cost you, that doesn't exceed two, right? So you can't go more than two maneuvers in the game. You can perform an immediate maneuver um, per turn, and that way you don't take strain when you decide to take your second move. Mm -hmm. You can also add threat to a targeted creature's next check with two, or you could add an advantage to a specific character, including yourself. So instead of just saying, oh, the next guy, you can go, I know that you want to go last, right, Wiki? Yeah, well, I'm sending a boost your way because I think you got a good plan. Allows I for think there's... communication. Oh, I'm sorry, brother. Go ahead. Oh, that's right. That's it it just allows for proper communication. Like, it encourages party members to go, you know, I don't just have to pass it to the next guy. We could be, we could all roll advantage and all give it to the Wookiee so that when the Wookiee does go, his attack has no chance of failure. And it, it puts a strategy to the game that even if you're not playing on a map, you can utilize. That's a good tip. I like the the way you, you describe to use it strategically. Uh, that can really come out in the story as well. Another thing I'd like to point out when we're, we're coming over these mechanics is you got to think of uh, what a maneuver can be used for. It's not just moving your character from this spot to this spot. You could pick up a weapon that your uh, right. ally has disarmed from someone. You could uh, remove the the. You could holster your own weapon and, and draw your grenades. You know, there's a, there's a plethora of options available to you for that free maneuver. Uh, and another thing is, I feel like a lot of players when they play the game forget that it actually is two uh, two advantages to give the setback. They think it has right. the same as the boost. So I, I agree. To, to remember now, that the other well. interesting thing about when you say immediate free maneuver, let's talk about that more. I also consider interacting with simple items a maneuver. Right. So if you wanted to lock the doors, you could spend two advantages to sh start shutting the doors behind them and then shoot. It requires no computers check. It's something really simple. Or one time I had a guy, um, they put their guns under the desk, right? 
and they held their hands behind their backs in respect. And they're like, oh, hi, hi, sir. And this cop comes in and they're looking for people who are selling illegal weapons and they just happen to buy some from the seller. So they have the weapons hiding on the desk. And then I made mention, because somebody had a bunch of advantages, that he's kind of eyeballing under the desk as he's approaching. So the guy rolled a, uh, basically a check to lie to the guy, right? And he used two of the advantage to use a maneuver to kick the guns out from under the desk and slide them under the table that they already searched. And that's how he used nice. his maneuver. I was like, brilliant. Now, as far as two advantages, now I allow people to spend the two advantages on something narrative as well i will allow that that's my own house rule and i will allow you to do something a little more significant or if you don't know be like james i want to notice something about this battlefield for two advantage i could be like oh okay well not only do you notice that there's an atst outside so if you guys run out there you're jumped but you also notice that the crew on top is having lunch so they won't get to react the the exact round that you guys leave the building Make give it a little more juice than just well for one advantage you notice that there's a uh, ATST outside waiting for you but then for two it's like you realize they're not ready. Yeah, I think a good distinction to make at this point would be to say you know think of think of the two advantage two advantage tier as a uh, as that as that maneuver tier so stuff that doesn't take a role um, right. you know and then the simple stuff. The three advantage, you know, you can uh, negate defenses bonuses on an enemy. You can ignore uh, penalizing environmental rules. So if you're hip deep in water, you could be like, you know, just running right through it. When dealing damage, uh, have the attack disable the opponent, like stun. A lot of weapons use that three advantage to trigger an effect. Um, you can also gain plus one melee or range defense until the end of your active character's next turn. So um, you could basically shoot, right? And if you get three advantage, you could say that not only are you undercover, but you also pull aside a piece of metal that gives you a little more protection. So that's two setback. And then because uh, it gives you a ranged defense. And then force the target to drop a melee or ranged weapon it's wielding. So like shooting the blaster out of their hands. You know, you could disarm. Now for three advantage, I do allow an even better change of narrative. You know, uh, I would say that in the instance of our ATST, that you notice that they're having lunch, you notice the ATST is out there, and you also notice it's standing on a door for what looks like a lift that leads to the motor pool down underground. So then, if you can find the controls for that door, you could be like, boop, and watch them go, ah! You know, that's the kind of stuff. What would you do with three advantage, story narrative-wise? Yeah, so I think the, the three advantage tier is about a where I would start equating it to triumph level stuff. So um, at this point, if you're, if you're wanting to put in narrative stuff, I'll, I'm going to give you a little bit more leeway. You get a little bit more uh, uh, freedom to, to make cha game changing choices. Uh, I liked your idea about the, the, the trap door. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm big into environmental effects or uh, things that appear in the environment. Um, like new players, I like to interject that type of thing. Uh, that that's real big on me. And so, in order to keep that appropriate, you can scale the numbers, uh, the numbers that you interject. So you know, if if you, you just got one, if you just have three three advantages, you know, maybe one one guy popped up, you know. But if you if you have a bunch, you know, a, a whole crew, maybe a ship. Yeah. 
And then, uh, then there's triumphs, which we don't need to read everything that a triumph does because there's really not a whole lot of confusion about triumphs. People seem to understand they're what the a criticals, does. yeah, right. But anything they over overestimate that. Yeah. In the example of what I would do for three advantage versus a triumph is in my three advantage example, they saw the ATST, they saw they were on brink and not paying attention, and they saw the trapdoor underneath. For a triumph, I would allow them to activate the, the trapdoor. Mm-hmm. Like there's a console next to you, you hit it, and it. <laughs> that's what I would do as a triumph. I kind of look at it as escalating the scene, and I think to myself every time there's a scene. What would they notice with one? What would they notice with two, three, and then a triumph? And then I have it ready to go before you guys ever roll. Now, when there's four or five triumphs everywhere and the, the story's getting crazy <laughs> weird, I can't really give you advice on that. You can't keep up, yeah. But now let's go from a GM's perspective, because threats are the same way. To you, Archie, if you were going to use the threat to describe some narrative against players, what would it be? Um... I find that people always are rarely use equipment breakage and mm. I love to break people's love uh, cherished equipment um you I know do that the, with the ships yeah the <laughs> rascal the the guy who has that super soup very souped up weapon and he he all he never misses his shot yeah and you know he, yeah, he let's always throw it takes out there right shots. now and say say like an ascension pistol exactly yeah well you break that sucker and you see him you see him have to bring another level to his character some more depth to his character does he struggle or does he find something else that he can rely on with the same level of success that he previously had i find it's real cool to break people's stuff you reminded stuff. me of something and i want you to tell me i want you to remind me about it when we get to the three threat cuz you're going to laugh at this just remind me that i have something up for the three threat in case i forget oh are now, we talking one threat i guess i won't break their stuff for one threat well, I don't know. It depends. If it's like a... I'll, I'll give it could, a one tier one tier of break, but it's not do you fully know, broken. You know what's it's awesome damaged. to do with one threat? <laughs> the energy cell shorts out. Oh, force a reload. Yeah. You never hey, have to reload. Yeah. Guess what force party reload, members please. never put in their equipment? Energy cells. You know, I think Grodd from Ashes to Ashes is the only guy I know who carries around extra energy cells. Well, if, Good you remember, on you, brother. if you remember, the reason why is because that very first fight on Tatooine, when you guys were pinned by the Imperials, he rolled a threat and I drained his energy cell and he had no refill. So he had to throw nades and, and scavenge around to try Lesson to find things learned. to use. Lesson learned. He knows how I play. Um, Character growth. Love it. Now, let's go with two threat. What's a good two threader for you? Um, I don't know if this is completely mechanically legit but this is the point where i like to give my my enemies uh, the free maneuver man uh, and i use yeah. it for things other than moving they don't just move their body uh uh sounding you know, an do... alarm yes yes uh three th three three is the point of bringing people in but two is the point of calling them in I agree. Exactly. I agree 100%. And the way I do it is like, at one, you may notice something awesome, but still requires a roll. At two, you may be able to do that awesome thing, and it may still require a roll, but you're going to notice something else that makes it easier. And at three, you'll notice the thing, it'll be easier, and then I'll allow you to move toward it or activate it if it's not that big of a deal. If you're working with a computer system, I will require a Triumph to do it right off the bat. Triumphs require no rolls. If you want to spend a Triumph, you don't have to roll for it triumphs or, or crits you gotta but, don't jack a man of his crit. right um, i think if i was gonna uh, succinctly uh describe the two the two threat tier i would say uh delayed 
delayed threat. Uh, yeah, yeah, like something is coming. Yeah. Like maybe you see a star destroyer speck in the distance. Three threat is a lot. Like, there's a shadow over ready. the fuck. A, a despair is where you notice not a, right when you notice the star destroyer. There's Thai bombers bombing the facility you're in. You know that's a despair. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. Now, Turbo, yeah, the turbo laser fire is incoming. Yeah, <laughs> three threat. There was a scene in my Dust to Dust campaign uh, where, where their first mission was on Felucia, where there's some weird fungal infected people running around kind of like in uh, last of us and he wanted to scurb wanted to hack the system and so far he's been nailing every single hack that he has had right and they break into the senator's office to hack it for information against the moth not realizing that a senator is going to have some sort of defense on his computer he's a senator you know and uh it ended up frying his Oh, the data slicer. pad incident. Right. Yes, it ended up flying his, his slider. You know yeah. it well. You saw I've what it did to him. Yes. He's, it was he had a ongoing. mental breakdown. <laughs> it lasted multiple episodes. He was he, worried about that. And I was trying to explain to him that he could fix it. He just has to get the parts. But he was devastated. And then, unfortunately, he had this big family camping trip and stuff. He had a really busy summer and wasn't able to, to fix it. So we made fun of his character and just had him like in his room locked up having like a seance with it and a, and a memorial service with his data pad <laughs> trying to recover the information like feverishly on a less powerful system. And then on a triumph, we'll go ahead and just, oh, another three despair that I would do. I would say a three despair is where I would break a weapon or you would drop it. Now for a Jedi, this... This might not seem like that big of a deal, but it still takes the Jedi some time to get their lightsaber back. So if they're fighting and Archie goes to roll his lightsaber weapon, right, and he gets three threat, even if he hits me, I'm going to say that when he hits me and my character reels back, the hilt of my lightsaber hits Archie right in the nose and his lightsaber skitters across the catwalk. Well, I think the distinction to be made is that uh, the disarmed with the advantages um, and the the threats makes the weapon fall to your feet. Uh, there's certain abilities and skills or abilities in the specialization trees that allow you to disarm, and that refers to the one that actually tosses it away. Oh, that's fair. So, yeah, that's fair. Uh, the, the the one that you use uh, two or three uh, threats or advantages for puts it at their feet, so they have to do one maneuver to recover their weapon. But if you have the skills, you can require them to strain in order to like get their weapon back because they have to move and pick it up. And I think that's a good point that you make. Still very good because, I mean, if they can't take their maneuver, or if you force them to take a maneuver that you choose that's controlling the battlefield, that's always good. That's true. Disarm that's is good, true. man. I, uh, as a player with my advantages, I love to disarm. As a GM, I don't want to hear too much crying, but uh, that's why I break their stuff. They cry less. <laughs> like, no, it's just broken. <laughs> I, I would say that for a despair, that's when I usually bring in Imperial reinforcements or enemy reinforcements. And the reason why I, I reserve that for a despair is because those reinforcements are here to stay for the rest of the battle. It's not just going to screw you on one turn. It's going to be there as a looming despair. Another despair is if you have a ship waiting for you in orbit and they're going to come down and pick you up. I'll use the despair to have the TIE fighters come out and engage that ship. 
from a Star Destroyer that just came in the atmosphere. So they might not be able to arrive exactly when you want them to. So for the last part of the mission, you guys are going to be on the landing pad defending the landing zone until they can arrive. Um, despairs I don't use to do critical. I, I will kill a player flat out. I'll tell you what. I will kill a player. If the stormtroopers knock your ass down and you've killed hundreds upon hundreds of stormtroopers, you are not getting a trial. Probably that mother, getting executed. He's going to order yeah. 66 you You're getting executed. until there's nothing left, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't use the despairs to bring harm to players. I will use it to booby trap their weapons. I'll say, okay, I'm going to hold on to the spare and you'll find out how, uh, what I'm going to do with it. And then in one of the Destiny Horizon games, um, Yurig was like, I'm going to shoot this rocket launcher. I'm like, great. The moment you shoot it, Grakaza steps in your way, bumps the barrel, fires it into the trench, killing three rebels. That, that was my despair. Yeah, I think despairs are really great to uh, have your players hurt their other players or people that they care about. It's really, really great. Uh, and the thing that I will say is uh, despair is imminent, is like immediate arrival. Like, they're there now. The, the, the threats are impending arrival so right. like that that's the the distinction there like I like, that. like you said you have to you have to deal with them no and that makes sense sure. too, because like if you roll the threat say, you might um, be able to escape and not have to deal with them if you're let's, wise let's say that the advantage like they get in this gun this gunfight and they roll a perception check to search and they get an advantage and they're like um can't really think of anything james do you have any ideas i'll be like yeah you find a computer and you find out that they just ordered for reinforcements because the base was under attack all right, guys, we need to hurry this up because this party's going to get kicking soon. Or you if, could say you hear their comm activating, you know, right. that, as their helmet tumbles to the ground, you hear through their, their helmet, oh, their comm is going off. What right. was that? Oh, then, got, they, two threat could be that... They're surrounding not, us. Two threat could be that not only have you seen that message, but you've also seen the response. They said, we are on our way. And then three threat is you find out that they're already in hyperspace. And then despair is, surprise, they knew you were coming the entire time, and it was a planned, like, trap. You've been baited. You've been baited to come after this uh, secret. And one of the things I did in one of the um, Age of Rebellion campaigns I had is I sprung a trap on them, and I had them come out into the open because they thought they were, like, hunting down this secret plans for a military base, and then they rolled a despair. And I used the despair to say that the plans were fake. <laughs> that Rebel Intel was wrong. And they basically took the bait and was totally baited. <laughs> so nothing really happened as far as, oh, a Star Destroyer showed up. Just a handful more troopers showed up. But they found out that their entire time they've been, like, shot. They're bleeding. They're tired. They're angry. They've been fighting for hours. And they find out this entire time it was a freaking bunk trap like it wasn't even real the disc is empty nice now wow. you want to know something that really kicked their butt That's brutal they if took, that didn't do it <laughs> nope they took they picked up the trap they took the empty data pad and went back to mon mothma and said there's nothing on it so when her and her text were analyzing it they found out there was a tracking beacon I was about to say they led the right to Mod Mothma. <laughs> so terrible. my despair ended up cultivating. Spies, <laughs> my despair ended up cultivating to like five despair by the time it was all said and done. And they had that thing for weeks. They were that on like a, up a good 
four day journey in hyperspace where they played ping pong and they like role played their characters like nice. being competitive and stuff. <laughs> Meanwhile, this tracking beacon is just sitting on the desk like beep beep beep. Hilarious. Classic. Classic. Well, <laughs> right, right, right through the rebel base, man. Yep. I think we did a really good job uh, for this first part. This this will be the first part of War Room where we're talking about advantages and disadvantages. But Archie, why don't you come up? What question can we ask our our group? Let's get some feedback from our people on the FFG Star Wars game. I want to know. Let's hear from y'all. You know, what is the thing you really can't wrap your brain around? What is the thing? that you really need some clarification, some illumination on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Is there a rule way. that just rubs you the wrong way or an aspect of the game that you just can't, you can't wrap your head around? And I can tell you what we'll do is we'll collect all the answers on Facebook and we'll talk about it next time on War Room. And what I'll do is I'll give you the mechanical way to solve the problem. And then I'll tell you whether or not I even do the mechanical way. Maybe I have a house rules way of dealing with it. Like when ships blow up, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, put that down on the Facebook page. But for now, we're going to transition to our next segment. This is an exciting year for Star Wars because we have The Last Jedi coming out. We get to see Luke kick some butt. Maybe. Ignite the green. Ignite the green. That's good. Hashtag ignite the green. Comment that Hashtag. right now. Hashtag ignite the green. Everybody in the podcast world out there, just roll down your window in your car. If Light you're up Twitter. Scream out. Tag Mark Hamill. Hashtag ignite the green. Tag JJ Abrams. Put a picture tag, of his unlit lightsaber. Just tag them all. Tag everyone. Yes. Everyone. Everyone. Kathleen Kennedy. Tag them all. Tag them all. Mickey Mouse. I want yeah, Mickey, Mickey Mouse, Mouse to. I want Mickey Mouse to go open up his Twitter and be like, "I wonder what Goofy's saying," and be like, "Ignite the green." So uh, now we got to be careful with that because some people in the Lucas Arts world would be like, "Heck yeah, y'all man!" Not, y'all do not blow up Kathleen on our account, okay? Give me like, let's ignite the green, man. No, all right. So she has better things to do than talk to y'all about that. <laughs> That's true. Sorry. So let's uh let's get down to the latest trailers, right? So the, what the latest trailers have been amazing. We get to see more of Luke off the island, although very cryptic. But what was the one thing that amazed you about the new trailers? What are you most excited uh, for? I'll be cheesy real quick, man. I dropped a tear with that little pork was like <laughs> I was like, "Oh, look how cute he is." But no, man, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's what it was, man. I was like, oh, you're so cute. But no, the thing for me is to see Luke. I want to know what's up with Luke. That was the whole MacGuffin of last last movie was what's up with Luke. Now they're going to tell me. And if they don't tell me, I'll cry. So please tell me. He'll look at a porg. And he'll just be like. <laughs> All right. Now canon in my <laughs> universe for uh, Fantasy Flight Games, porg are a delicacy of Trandoshans. I just cannot think of a creature more terrifying that could devour porg mm. yeah like, a thousand points yeah exactly it's like kessel fried <laughs> porg you just go to your nearest kessel fried porg and get a bucket and there's just a bunch of bird feet sticking out the top well so, to plug a uh, fellow uh, star wars internet 
people. Hyper RPG does a show called Pencils and Parsecs, and uh, they have canonized their or in their canon. Porgs are an invasive species, so they breed like uh, what is the eighties monster? Uh, tri- like, tribbles are, are the things you can't feed after dark. And gremlins. Wet. Yeah, they feed. They 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 breed like gremlins. <laughs> That's oh, a geez. pork. Oh my god, Archie! <laughs> what are you doing to me? I'm having Furby flashbacks, man. Yeah. I got Furbies when those I things first came too. out. I had the I had Yoda Furby right around the time that uh-huh. freaking um, the Phantom Menace came out, and it would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, "Hmm, hungry I am." I have never thrown a pillow so fast, so fast that Yoda could not do shit. He got I love Yoda, but not show. when I'm in deep in sleep. Yeah, I don't need Yoda telling me. <laughs> and then I got to stick my finger in his mouth and push the red tongue. And he's like, mm, yum. And then once I remove my finger, go, how do you get so big eating food? like?" And I'm like, you motherfucker, want to sleep. And that's because I didn't know how to use my Furby. That's not really a problem with the toy, but. No, that's cool. Like they're an invasive. They some look issues cute. For you, brother. They, they look, yeah, I, I need to go see a therapist. Um. <laughs> I go in front of the Jedi Council and I'll be like, mm, a master you Tr- will never triggered become. Triggered by Yoda. <laughs> You're afraid yeah, of Furbies. Like it sits his rage in him as he sees Yoda's little green ass. It's like, it's like water boy. I just look down at the ground sad, but then when I look up, I just see freaking Mace with Yoda's head and he's like, Furbies rock. They really, really rock. That's how the Jedi Order comes down. We call that Order 12 because I didn't wait till 66. I just, problem solved. What about you, man? Back on track. What the heck are you most looking forward to about Snoke. the new film? Man? Snoke, Snoke, the fact that we saw him in and his Broden. gold oh. in his gold member clothes, like I'm still half expecting him to peel off some skin and eat it. Like it's kind of weird, but seeing uh, his guard, his guard looks like they will just f up anyone who tries to screw with him, right? And then uh, I think the other thing that I'm really excited about has got to be. Um, just his demeanor, his voice, his words. He doesn't seem as arrogant as the Emperor. In that regard, I think he's a little more vulnerable. But what I think makes him intimidating as hell is he is more cautious. You know what I mean? He's trying to... He's not, like, going on the hollow net being like... I he's am not the playing world. senator. No, and he's not playing dictator. He's... Not only is he the puppet behind the scenes, but it seemed like when the Emperor was in charge, everybody feared Vader because they feared the Emperor. If Vader was bad, the Emperor was ten times worse. You know what I mean? But as far as Kylo Ren goes, no one knows about Snoke. No one. Except for those close to him in the First Order. Not even... The New Republic, I mean, honestly, if you went... Well, the leadership of the First Order. Right. But my point is, if you went back to the First... To to the Resistance in Force Awakens, you're like, oh my god, it's Snoke. You'd be like, what are you talking about? You know, it wasn't until Han Solo was speaking with his son that Han Solo was like, I knew it. I knew someone was behind this. I knew it wasn't just you. And then turn into a Harrison Ford shish kebab. But the thing is, is that Snoke is being careful, and this is his big reveal, at the same time that we're going to have Luke's big reveal. And really, we we don't know anything about Luke anymore. We don't know what kind of person he is. I mean... Uh, we have some clues from the from the canon novel. That's true, and There's no Mark clues Hamill's, on Snoke, I'll give you that. Mark Hamill's repeated disappointing tweets about how he did not agree with the way Luke turned out. 
kind of makes me nervous, but also more excited. It means that Luke is not going to be like I thought he was. Going to hold my reservations on that. Um, those comments. <laughs> I uh, I feel like I have an idea the direction that he was trepidatious about, but I feel like it could work. And I'm going to just put my faith in Ryan Johnson to pull it off, especially given the fact that they gave him this new trilogy. Yeah. Hands I mean, down. Hands that down. shows a lot of trust. I'm really wow. excited about... Um, see, I'm not as excited about Ray's involvement as I thought. To me, it seems like in the trailer that Ray is being tugged on by... I feel like you're going to be disappointed, brother. I feel like yeah. you're expecting a lot more Snoke. Uh, and you don't care about Ray, you're going to get a lot of Ray and not a lot of snow. <laughs> no, it's it's not so much that. That's not what I'm expecting. It's that okay, they've been very secretive about her character development. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know. You mean uh, the, the source only... of her power? Is that what you're right. referring well, to? Right. Well, that the only glimpses that we've seen with her is training with Luke. You know, we've had flashes of that. Luke reprimanding her in a rain. We had a flash of that. And her hovering in the air, screaming as Snoke is doing something to her. But what we haven't seen is we haven't seen her in action. And that's what kind of excites me. They did a very good job at not really showing her do badass stuff. So that I think when we go into the theater, we're going to have the mindset of she's a victim. She's being torn in many different directions. <laughs> and then they're going to rip the mask off of our eyes yeah. when she... Like, that was weird. It sounds like she's juggling turkeys. That was supposed to be a fast lightsaber noise. but I got you. You know, to me, I think that that's really cool because they're keeping the surprise. Whereas with Luke, I don't think that there was really a surprise to be had in Empire Strikes Back as far as Luke's character goes. Luke behaved the way that we expected Luke to behave based off the first movie. It wasn't until the third movie that we saw that transformation. You know what I mean? Where Luke See, I, Luke changed. I think Ray's going to be the one that stays how we expect her to be. I think she's going to still be angry and confused and trying to figure it out okay, and feeling lost and alone. Like nobody really, really gets her and wants to be a part of her team. Uh, I feel like that's what that's going to be her arc. Is she's just trying to find somebody who actually cares her because Luke is unable to do so. I feel like that's the problem that Mark Hamill has. He's like, well, you know, I'm a Jedi Master. I should be able to empathize with this young lady. But the arc that they're going for for his character is that he shut it off. He is not. He's not having it. Yeah, and that kind of <laughs> that's where they're by, going with it. He's <laughs> it catches he me out. by surprise too because Luke has always been, in my mind, kind of a selfish character. The reason like, why I call his actions selfish, and maybe that's not the right word. Maybe revolutionary is a better word. Is because it seems to me like the whole Jedi training is here's the tool, it's the Force, right? Use it well. But the Force is scary. Like, there's a dark side to it, and you got to be careful. And because of that, it almost seems like the Jedi focused on putting a handicap on themselves to not achieve, to not give into the Force 100%. Like, let the Force flow through you, but don't let it take over you. It was almost like their mantra, right? And Luke was one of those people that when the Force spoke to him, he was like, like when he shot at the Death Star, when he left to go save his friends, you know, it was like the Force was calling to him, be it dark side or not. And he was like, I must go to it. And he disregarded like centuries of Jedi training where it's like, sit down and meditate. You're not uh -huh. using your brain. Control this. Don't yeah, control. That's it. the that's the key, man. And that's why the Jedi and the Sith are viewed as the same thing in the galaxy, because they both 
seek to control. Right. Uh, just and in different Luke ways. Did, Luke was always open to the force, like, but I'm well, and he exactly. always gave into he, he it. He let the flow, he let the force guide him in the same way that Qui-Gon Jinn did. Right. Uh, he wasn't bound by precepts and, and dogma. He did what the force showed him. He, he, he followed the path that the, the force put before him. And, quite and honestly, he made the best choices that he could in the situations that he was put in. He was I the feel prophecy. Like that's what Luke does. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing too is he was the prophecy. You know, he was the one that brought balance to the force. It was him. I mean, people could argue no, it was Anakin because Anakin's the one that chucked the emperor down the the power core and finally ended the conflict. But it was Luke's decision not to kill his father. That one act of because if you remember, Darth Vader was about to murder him and go after okay. his sister. Right. He goes, fine, if you won't join, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to go after your sister. But that one moment when Luke showed him mercy and the Emperor's like, you failed. And he's like, Dad, help me. What huh. made Anakin go from wanting to murder his son and go for his sister to all of a sudden he can't take it anymore and huck the Emperor off? And I think it was that moment of mercy that Luke showed him that despite all the wrong he had done. I think that was when Darth Vader's like, he's right. There is good in me. I could do something. This is the time for action. So you could argue that Luke brought balance to the Force. Let me the whole... let me bring this. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, the, you were finna. The whole point to what I'm saying is, if you look at his behaviors, it kind of makes sense why in the Force Awakens he finally went. You know what? Every time I let the Force guide me, every time I go blindly where it leads me, it leads to pain and suffering. And which is why he's on an island and he shut off the force. He's just <laughs> completely in conclusion, you know, seclusion. And he's just not like, it's almost like he's afraid of using. Okay. The force. Viewing audience. Uh, the Yarl of goats has not read the new Canon novel, uh, Luke Skywalker stories of a Jedi or whatever it is. The new one that just came out. Not what yet. he just described, what he just described is what's in the book. That's, that's what happened. That's what happened to Luke. That, that's what happened to him. I, I, I never even told him. I've read the book. That's what happened. He oh, are kept you going no, to places wait, what? and are finding you serious? a lot of like. Yeah, that's no, I'm what not happened to him. That's why he went into hiding. Well, no, uh, technically, but the stories okay. in that book show a Luke finding himself into situations where terrible shit is going down, and he's being forced to to help people in these situations to be the paragon that is a jedi in those situations so i, I could see that i could see your, your your point is valid in the new canon man that that's legit um that that is and that ray is, handles is. it differently which is what we were talking about like ray does yeah. not do the luke skywalker thing man um i i had a point but it it, it, it left my mind because because you blew my mind with your uh, your wicked insight there uh you blew you blew it right away um, but I like, uh, so we were talking about how Ray she wears everything on the outside. She's not as insightful as Luke, and she kind of. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, the th the chosen one. Okay, mm -hmm. I think that the chosen as much as if I had to pick one person to be the chosen one, it would be Anakin because that was proven in the Clone Wars when he went to Mortis. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Maybe you haven't seen the cartoons, so you don't count that. No I big do, deal. Yeah. Um. Um. But I think the idea that the Skywalkers, like as a whole, because Kylo is technically Skywalker blood, but his name is Solo. He's not a Skywalker. He is Skywalker blood. He's not a Skywalker. Right. Um, the Skywalkers, the three main, the three Skywalkers are the chosen ones because Leia 
is still kicking it. And since Luke has turned his back on doing the right thing and helping these young Force users, I think Leia is going to be the one to set him straight in this video um, and basically absolve him of his guilt with the whole Kylo situation. Be like, look, man, I know you did what you could. You, it's not like you purposefully set out to, to cause my son these troubles. Uh, and there's other kids that you can still help in the same way that Leia has made it her life goal to help the galaxy and set these wrongs right that she didn't even know her father had perpetrated until she had already set herself upon that path. And uh, I think she has the strength to to put Luke put Luke back where he needs to be at. I don't think Ray is going to be able to do it. I think Ray's too conflicted. I, I think you're right because be, Leia's always been like that. You know, yeah, when... she she's on point. She has it on on lock under control. She's when Han wise, Solo was taken, well trained, disciplined. Right when Han Solo was taken, Luke blamed himself. They only did that to get to me. That's exactly what he did. And in the end of that Leia movie, was pissed at Han for getting him into some bullshit. Leia she was, knew where the fault was at. Well, she's it pissed at Han, but she also learned, if you remember, that Lando told Chewie and Leia when they were escaping that it was never about Han. They're testing it on him to use it on Luke. And if Han gives up and just lets them do it, it might spare Luke. It's a trap. That's what she realized. So when Luke's blaming himself because it's a trap. You see Leia at the end of the movie set aside her own grief that Han is gone and still is really optimistic. She's got her arms draped around Luke. He's in the blanket. She's like, we're going to get him back. Don't worry. She's very much the, the pillar in that. And I think that's a good ideal to show you that you're right, man. She's probably going to be well, the one to go, Luke, we've been through these problems before. But I think you might be surprised. I do also have a theory. I think Han Solo dying might have been her might be her the breaking, breaking point. point. She's done. And Luke has to be there for her. Which is not a position he's put in a lot. Maybe that could be the thing he was surprised about and that was weird with how they are two broken characters, you know, trying to survive without their homie on. Well, there was a lot. There was a lot that hit Luke right off the bat. Huh? Who's this girl? How did she find me? That means she activated the secret plans in R2-D2, which means something bad has happened. Oh my god, is that my lightsaber I lost on Bespin? Holy shit, it's a million Falcon and Chewie! Wait a minute, where's Han Solo? Where's like, Han? All at, once, <laughs> all at once, he's like, oh my god! Yeah. So his little time in seclusion did not prevent the bad stuff from happening. And right, I think that's will, why man. he's like, I gotta come back and I gotta help you out because you don't know what you're doing. Now, as far as Kylo goes, and this will be the last thing that we talk about on this, what I'm excited about the trailers is, when I watch The Force Awakens, I watched it three times after I got the Blu-ray, and I was looking at it, and in a way, I almost saw the conversation between him and his dad pour out differently. Like, if you watch it, and you just watch it, how things are said and why things are said, I think a scene like that is done on purpose. And the way that oh, very Han... Carefully scripted. The way that Han handles the hilt right before he gets stabbed, it actually looks like Han's the one guiding it towards him. So it's almost like if you read in between the lines, what I kind of get from it is Kylo sees his dad and has a moment of, Daddy, help me. Right? He has that look on his face, tears welling up in the bottom of his eyes of a child being like, I don't know what to do. And he's saying, you don't understand. He's telling me to do this. You know, help me. And then Han Solo goes, I will. And grabs the lightsaber and bent. There is no struggle. Han Solo's not pushing it away. Right? And then he says, thank you. Boom! And kills him and then drops him into a pit. To me, I watch that scene over and over again and I'm like, man, 
Han Solo's always gotten a bad feeling about this. So why was he fighting all of his instincts to, to actually help his son out? Well, you know, dude, his instincts were moment. out the window when he walked on the rail on the, yeah, on the exactly. walk with no railing. Like that was yeah. out the window. So yeah. are you are you of the school of thought that he that Han ignited the lightsaber? Is no, that what you're trying I'm, to imply? I'm under I'm under the school of thought that in that conversation it was conveyed that Kylo didn't want to, but he had to. Oh yeah, for sure. And that okay. Han Solo said, I understand. And he said, thank you for understanding and killed his dad. I don't think Han pushed the, the hilt. I, I think, think Han was trying to take the lightsaber away from him. Well, I think that he was probably trying to take the lightsaber away from him. That's that's true. That's what I got. If my from son it, had a gun, I would try to take it from his hands. And be like, I mean, let me get that from you. <laughs> but when your son is being possessed by a demon, let's put it in world terms, that will probably torment, punish or kill him for not doing what he's supposed to, you know. From a dad, it's like, you know, what do I do? Also, right after that, he puts his hand on his son's cheek like, I still love you, and then fucking fell to his death, you know? Spoilers for The Force Awakens, y'all. Oh, man, it has been two years. <laughs> go to a movie, goddammit. Go to, go to freaking Walmart and buy it for ten bucks. So I should have spoiled the shit out of that. Now, Kylo is an interesting character, too, because it almost seems like he was so lost when he was fighting Rey on the surface that almost like before he's always like, Snoke wants me to do this. I'm mad. Ah! But he was, still was collected enough to, like, do what Snoke wanted. But it seemed like right after he killed his dad is where he totally gets derailed and it just becomes kylo going yeah i want to punish you and there's no guidance from snoke in that instance whatsoever and he gets his ass kicked by an amateur who's that scene never is one thing that trained. I, uh, <laughs> I was pretty pretty worried about uh they they're, they're gonna have to put in some work in the new film to justify that um unless he, he withheld he, well he was he was injured you know bowcaster shot whatever um yeah, I know. I, I agree, but um, <sighs> like, um, I love that. But actually. Th the thing that gives me heart for that is that he was never actually in any danger from Finn. He was toying no. with Finn completely. If you mm -hmm. watch the the exchange between the two of them, as it's soon like, as Finn like landed one little grazing blow on him, he was like, "No," nah, and he smacked him down. Yeah, quick. I call it the anime he reflex. Was, he was bodying Ray at the start of the fight, he was bodying her real hard. And the only thing that she really defeated him on easily was grabbing the lightsaber. She got the weapon. Mm -hmm. She had to hit for story. Mm -hmm. But then, then no, after no, no, she, no. after she had connection and reached out and, 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 you know, gave herself over to the force. That's when she, she whooped his ass. So, I think the reason why he was so aggressive against her is because she fucking got in his head when she was a prisoner and escaped. Well, and he you was play pissed. Battlefront, right? Yeah. Did you play multiplayer? Yes. What did you look at Ray's power set in the game? Did you see uh, what she can I honestly haven't gotten to play Ray yet. She makes people wander around. Everyone. She just mind controls them all, and they're just like, oh, "What's going on?" And they just wander around. So her mind control powers are like really, really strong. It right. would not surprise me in the least that when she connected with the Force, um, she was innately using uh, Form Seven, uh, Juyo or Vapad, the, the form where you uh, Dune Mosh tactic, where you uh, 
you set your opponent ill at ease like Vader does with his comments, the way he says shit to you that you're like, oh, fuck you, and you get all upset. She does it just naturally, just with her mind and just through the Force. I feel like that. That's she kind of reminds me of Yoda. Her. Yoda, she, in she my mind, was like... She's a Mace Windu. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, as far as her mind mind games go, if you watch all of the the Clone Wars and you, and you read all the books, Yoda's like that Jewish mother of the group. <laughs> like that one line quip where Yoda will just drop some wisdom like you don't have a husband and you're single and then just looks out the window and they're all like oh jeez Yoda oh baba yeah. <laughs> right yeah it almost seems like she has that she has a Yoda like ability where she knows how people think and she knows how to use that against them I mean come on look at the game that Yoda played with Luke when Luke first crash landed Luke is panicking he's crash landed he's upset and he got wrecked and Yoda was like I'm an old man <laughs> and then like and Luke did get it oblivious like, come on how funny is that knowing Yoda's 900 years old and he just got in a huge fight with the Emperor spinning around sprawling around and stuff and he's crawling on his hands and knees and digging through his eating his food and shit and fucking with Luke the entire time right until Obi-Wan had to step in and be like, dude, chill, Yoda. Please okay? help him. He's really good. You need to help <laughs> yeah. him. Stop fucking with stop, him. And stop Yoda's trolling like, the kid. <laughs> and then he's like, wait, you're Yoda? And then Yoda's like, see, I can't trade you. You didn't even know I was Yoda, you dipshit. Like, I know that wasn't actually lines, but that was kind of how it played out. I see that a lot in Rey. Like, Rey, when she connects with Finn, like the bantering back and forth... But also, it seems like they were always against each other. And then when Finn got wounded, she was devastated. And that connection of where she went from bitter rivals always slapping each other to best friends and she's crushed that he's dying. Where did that come from? And I think he came and saved her on right. Starkiller Base. I do believe that. That but, hug? Yeah, right. that was a, that was my a heartfelt point is, hug. <laughs> is, it almost seems like she just stopped fucking with him after that point. That's what it seems like to me. She's like... All right, I'm done. You mean for the new movie when she burnt out? No, like she's like um, she got him. She got him tucked into the to the the back of the tank. She's like, okay, good luck, man. <laughs> well, no, I meant more like uh, it was just weird that they hug and stuff like that. And instead of bantering about decision making processes and stuff throughout the rest of the movie, it seems like the bantering ended there in Force Awakens when they hugged. There were some cutscenes. There were some cutscenes. Uh, them on a speeder bike uh, coming back to help Han. That was a uh, cutscene. Yeah. In the deleted mm -hmm. scenes on the disc, I think. Yeah. I so yeah, they probably had a little bit, a little bit of that character but, building. But I'm sorry, yeah. what, brother? It was just weird how she went from being mentally manipulative against him to, all right, you're cool with me. Which tells me that it was an act for her. And she's so used to that on her planet that she grew up on. Where she had to mentally swindle people to get by and know how they think See? and know how to work around them. That's where I disagree with you, man. I think she does it innately, naturally. She doesn't even know that she's doing it. She just does it. Oh, I it just happen. No, actually, I, do, I will agree with that. I don't think it's an intentional thing, right? Yeah, no, she yeah, I, exactly because she, she <laughs> isn't trained. Remember, she's not trained. So for her, it's it's an well, not impulse. only that, but I think I think she's good at heart. I think she's I just been too. through so much shit that she's going to struggle a lot with being what it is to be like a light side force user. In now, the galaxy. as as we wrap Strife, up, terrible. as we wrap up, let's talk about the title "Last Jedi" and what it means to you. Why the Last Jedi? <sighs> okay, so taking it to the EU, 
um, with Luke's new order. Um, I feel like they're going in the same direction. There's going to be Jedi. There's not going to be called that because in the past, the Jedi and Sith dichotomy was bad for the galaxy. So we're just going to be force users now. Which makes sense. That's kind of like Axis and allies. If, if two governments took over the world or, or two big teams, Team A and Team B, were made in the world, that would still insinuate that at some point there will be war. Exactly. Because you have two separate sides. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. That's actually my inspiration behind it. I think that Luke is going to pass the torch on. I think he is the last Jedi. And that whatever Rey is going to become is something better. Now, let's go to a Facebook question before we sign off. And the question that I have for all you guys for our Holonet segment is... The new trilogy. Who's excited about the new trilogy coming out? And if you haven't heard, the new trilogy has nothing to do with the Skywalker line. It's, it's, kind of, it's in the same universe... It's going to be on the outskirts of the galaxy from the sounds of it. What are your theories on what it's going to be? Is it going to go back in the past like Rogue One? Or is it going to continue on this point of the New Republic? And I'd like to see what they talk about. And then we'll come up with our responses in the next episode. So comment down below. Remember, we want to comment from you about the War Room where we talked about FFG Star Wars. And we want to comment from you about this as we talk about the new trilogy. We're super excited. Archie, why don't we uh, get a shout out from you? Are you working on any projects and... Tell us where we can find you on the interwebs. After the start of the new year, I will be beginning a Fantasy Flight Star Wars uh, game, Force and Destiny based, but it will include uh, players. I mean, you'll be able to pick any any character from any book. So look forward to that on my channel. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about how I perceive the Force and uh, how to portray a character who perceives the Force... Um, check out my channel, please. I'll have some videos up there uh, that go over role-playing those characters and really getting into the mindset of a Force user because that's something I really I really like to think about. I think that's really cool. Archie too. Duelist. Archie check Duelist, everybody. YouTubes. And then we're going to go ahead and see Archie in our Ashes to Ashes campaign in the following month of December. Now, due to Thanksgiving, I've been very busy with moving and family obligations, so I know that the the output on my channel slowed for the last week and a half but coming down the tunnel i've got two destiny horizon campaigns that are going to be posting two uh two episodes worth i've got an episode of ash stashes an episode of dust to dust and an episode of my uh stars without numbers campaign that's going to be premiering and you should all see that right after thanksgiving um and you could definitely catch me on facebook twitter or even the fathers of tabletop page if you want to just drop by for a chat but I'm excited to answer these questions. I, I want to see what people Please. think. Please. Yes. I want to see their theories on the next trilogy. And we definitely want to hear about, you know, their perception of the mechanics of the Star Wars Fantasy Flight games. So Help us help, us help you. Absolutely. If you, there's anything you guys want to talk about, comment on the post below. Even in the podcast, there's room to comments. Leave a like. Please give us a review. The more likes and reviews that we get all across the board, YouTube iTunes, uh, Podbean, SoundCloud, wherever you happen to be. It all helps our podcast on awareness and the Fathers of Tabletop Facebook group itself. 
Uh, Juice and I love making content for it. I want to do more tutorials. I know Archie and I, we want to do more Song of the Holocron, but seeing all those likes and reviews, and, and if we can get this to be big and get a bunch of views on it, then I would like to do it more frequently. With uh, I want to even invite guests. I want to invite guests from Facebook groups that run games, guests that we've gamed with. I want to... Archie is actually working on a really awesome thing called the Archives, which is a segment that we will be doing in future episodes where we talk about lore in Star Wars. So that in your tabletop RPG game, you've got something to talk about. Um, we might talk about a planet and its species and their cultures. We might be talking about the Jedi in particular, like here's some lore to help you run an old Republic game. Anything that we can come up with, there'll definitely be time for that in the future as well. But until next time, we will see you later. This is Yarla Goat signing off and my co-host Archie. And we will see you the next time. Bye-bye.